listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. The scripture reading this morning comes from Proverbs 31, and we'll start from verse 10. An excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She, pl- she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamb... Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of her kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you guys can go ahead and grab your seats. It's good to gather with you this morning, uh, have God's word read over us to sing with you. And uh, I'm excited now to introduce my friend Vince. Vince Henders is one of the pastors at Redeeming Grace Church. Uh, Vince has been here before. He was here last summer. Uh, to open up God's word for us, kind of last minute last summer. Uh, I gave him a little more preparation time this time around. But uh, grateful to have Vince come and, and preach from Psalm, uh, from Psalm, from Proverbs 31 this morning. Uh, and so just grateful for, for Vince in particular. He's been a friend to me personally uh, as a man who's been in ministry for a long time and a great encouragement to me and to my family. And as a pastor at Redeeming Grace Church, at a church that's been an encouragement and a blessing to us as well. And so Vince, why don't you come on up, brother, and let me pray for you. You guys can welcome Vince. Let me pray for you. Father, just give you thanks. Give you thanks for my brother. Give you thanks that he's here with his family this morning just to worship with us, to gather together. God, it's just a reminder to me this morning that your body, the body of Christ, is so much bigger than what we're about right here in this middle school cafeteria this morning, that you are doing a work here in Fairfax, in and through many churches, to preach and proclaim the good news of Christ. God, I'm grateful for the faithfulness of Redeeming Grace Church and how you've allowed them to be here for as Vince reminded me this morning, almost 40 years. God, we just praise you for that. We pray that you'd continue to bless that church, that they'd be faithful to preach and proclaim Jesus and see more and more people come to know you. 
And God, I'm grateful for Vince, that he's been just a faithful uh, brother, a faithful pastor, uh, a faithful friend to me and to our church and encouraged us and continued just to cheer us on uh, over these last seven years. And so we're grateful for him and for his family. Uh, And then we get to worship with him this morning and now hear from him as he opens up your word. So God, I pray that you'd fill him with your spirit, that you allow him to preach not in in confidence that he has in himself, but the confidence in the living and active word that he gets to proclaim this morning. And God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you work in and through this time to encourage us, to challenge us, to draw us closer to you, to bring new life this morning. God, we need to hear from you, and so we pray you'd give us ears to hear, and then we'd receive what you have today. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning. It is really a joy to be here, and I was really excited when I heard people yelling and cheering on the reading of God's Word because... Well, one, it's God's word, and so I love the fact that you all hold God's word in such high esteem, but I love the fact that you cheered for this particular passage. I think uh, we have so much to learn from this passage. It's a passage that has meant a lot to me in my life, uh, and I'll explain that a little bit later on, Um, but women are to be praised, and godly women are to be praised, and I love the fact that scripture identifies that. It encourages it. And so this morning, it really is a joy to be here. I bring you greetings from Redeeming Grace Church. We have so enjoyed spending more time with you as a congregation at the Christmas Eve service or being together for the Good Friday service or participating together at the Hypothermia Week. Um, We really have just enjoyed this growing partnership in the gospel that we have with you. And we think this pleases the Lord. It's good when God's people are joined together in a local area advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ and advancing his mission here on earth. If you have an ESV Bible, the heading of this section of scripture is called The Woman Who Fears the Lord. And yet, I want to ask you a question. When you come to this passage of scripture, how do you read it and how does it make you feel? For all the women here, the wives, the mothers, the daughters, is this an encouraging passage or a discouraging passage? Does it bring you joy and happiness or does it bring you a low-grade sense of guilt like, hey, I don't think I measure up. I can always find my faults when I read this passage. And for the men and the husbands and sons, what does this text teach us here this morning and as we come to it? What does God intend for men to learn from this passage? That's what I hope that we can look at a little bit here this morning is how are we intended by God to engage his word, especially when it's such a a wonderful picture and such a beautiful picture, but how are we to engage it? And so I want us today to to look at its place actually in all of the Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 31, these verses that we read, are not to be read just in isolation. It's to be read in a context and understood that way. There's a literary structure to the book of Proverbs, and we're going to explore a little bit of that here this morning. And I do pray that, that we, as we listen to God's word, as we engage God's word, that we would remember that this is breathed out by God. And it's to be profitable for us. And it's to train us in the ways that God wants us to go. So a little bit of background here. When we come to the Psalms, for instance, the Psalms teach us how to relate to God primarily and how God relates to us. But it's a lot about us and God. The Proverbs are very different type of literature. The Proverbs talk about how we relate to the world that God made. And so that's what we're engaging here. How do we relate to the world that God has given to us? 
And we know from Scripture that God created the world. But the Proverbs then give us detailed insight in how to live in it in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Because living rightly before God in the world that he created, that's actually called wisdom. That's true wisdom. That's not the wisdom of the world, but this is godly wisdom. When we learn how to live God's way in God's world. And so in kindness, or his kindness to us, God gives us his word. He breathes it out so that we can engage the world around us and live in a way that is pleasing to him. And the Proverbs essentially teaches that there are two ways to live in this world that we, that we find ourselves in. There's a way of wisdom, living in God's world, God's way, or folly, living in God's world, but not living God's way. Chapters 1 through 9, many of you might be familiar with this. These are the instructions of a father to a son. And two personifications of women are presented, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And so this father is teaching this young son, or that's what's portrayed there in Proverbs. Listen, son, there's two different ways to go, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And he gives all these detailed uh, insights and instructions about which is the better way, the way of wisdom. And he contrasts the way of wisdom and the way of folly. And isn't that a lot of life, actually? It's a lot of compare and contrast. You see one thing, and then you see another, and you say, which one's better? Well, the Proverbs are very much like that. They compare and contrast one or the other, which is better. And that's what we're called to consider. When we come to God's word, we're to consider two different ways, but which one's better? And that's what I want to have on our hearts as we go through this section of scripture here today. We just think, okay, there's two different ways, which one's better? As Proverbs go on, chapters 10 through 31, you get the traditional truisms that are applied to all aspects of life so that we can live in God's world, God's way. And this is addressing all the moral issues and the relational issues and even our physical issues like sleep and rest and being lazy and being diligent. And so Proverbs is this wealth of instruction for us, helping us to understand and discern how to live our lives on the right path that God has for us. But there's one thing most important that you have to understand. It's the key to understanding the Proverbs, and that is the concept of the fear of the Lord. You see, when we just get instructions on how to live and how to be good and how to do right things, those are all well and good, but the reality is none of us is able to do that on our own without the help of God. We need help from outside of ourselves. And so all of Proverbs is couched in this concept of the fear of the Lord. And it's done in a literary structure this way. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so that's one end of the bookend of this father's instructions to his son. The other bookend is in chapter 9, verse 10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so in the instructions from a father to a son, the fear of the Lord is central to that. And it's mentioned multiple times in between them, but also in the book as a whole. Chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord. And then in the verses that we had read here this morning, what did we hear in verse 30? Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who, what? Fears the Lord is to be praised. And so that's the larger bookend of the book of Proverbs. And so all of Proverbs is to be read with an understanding of the fear of the Lord. And so my main point this morning is that the wise person fears the Lord and lives God's way. 
And so I just want to look at a few different things from our text here this morning. The first is a portrait of Lady Wisdom. Verses 10 through 31 is a personification of this Lady Wisdom. It's a picture, and it's intended to be that way. And in this case, it shows particularly an excellent wife and mother. Now, from a literary perspective, I didn't always understand this, but as I've studied this and gotten to know this, I found out that there's some really cool stuff about how this was laid out together in the scriptures. Uh, The literary approach says that this is an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So like, have you ever written your mom a Mother's Day card and you write mother and you write it down the side of the page and then you say something nice, M is for uh, you make me breakfast and uh, O is uh, your... I don't know what starts with O, but something would start with O. And you just go down the list, right? Well, you know, that's, it's a learning tool. It's a way that we remember things, and it's a way that we put things together. And Scripture is no different. Scripture is teaching us something here. It's an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. In other words, it's an A to Z of the godly woman. It's a picture. It's a portrait of this godly woman. And it's intentionally comprehensive in scope. And in effect, it's like a best of series. It takes all the great qualities. Like imagine if we sat in this room and I got a whiteboard up here and I said, I'd like you to give me all the best character traits of the women in this room and I wrote it all up on a whiteboard, right? And then I put it in an acrostic form and I said, okay, that is a picture of the godly woman. That's sort of what's happening here in Scripture. You get all of these wonderful attributes of the godly woman. And because it was an acrostic, it was meant to be memorized. People were supposed to learn this, the men and the women, especially the men. They would have been the ones engaging with the scriptures most of the time. And so this was to be memorized. It was to be learned. It's a learning device. And we can learn so much from this. Yet, this passage of scripture at times can bring so much harm if it's not interpreted rightly. See, You see, sometimes people take this whiteboard with all these words written on it And they say, I'm supposed to be all of those all the time. And so they come to Proverbs 31 or they hear a message on this and they leave very discouraged saying, well, I'm not this and I'm not that and I'm not this. But that was not God's intention for this. You see this portrait of a godly woman. No, we're to look into that picture and then have it reflect back and show us not only what we're doing well, right? And see all the different ways that God is forming Christ-like character in us. But then we are to look to see where are the areas in particular that God would have us grow. You see, nobody's going to be the whole set here. For example, if you look at verse 15, it says that she rises while it's still night. And then look down at verse 18. It says her lamp does not go out at night. So in other words, you can't be a morning person and a night owl unless you have insomnia. But I say that very particularly because I think sometimes this is a really hard concept to understand that it's not intended to be every single verse for every single woman exactly the same. No, you're all fearfully and wonderfully made by God. You're given different seasons of life. Some of you are single. Some of you are moms. Some of you are married. Some of you are taking care of uh, family members. Some of you are working outside of the home. There's a whole array of different seasons that women can be in. And so it's not that you look at the whole picture and say, I need to be all of it. No, God wants you to come with a hungry heart to say, but what do you have for me? That's what's so encouraging about this picture because otherwise it's, it's not realistic and I think it can bring a lot of discouragement. 
And so for all the women, younger and older, married or single, with children or without, this is a beautiful picture of godly womanhood. It's someone who is to be praised, Scripture says. And the intent of this is aspirational. It's something that we can look forward to. It's qualities you want to have, not necessarily in every detail, as I've said, because that's not possible, but in attitude and in ethic. And so this portrait of godliness, well, it's living in a way that pleases the Lord. And so it talks about conduct. If you look at verse uh, 13, it says she works with willing hands. Verse 16, she considers a field and she buys it. Okay, so she's an entrepreneur. She's out there in the marketplace. Uh, Verse 18, her merchandise is profitable. She's wise. She's shrewd. She understands how life works. And so we see this picture of her conduct in that she's hardworking. She's diligent. She's prepared. She's organized. And I love the fact that she's strong. She's strong in the Lord. And then it talks about her character as well, interwoven in this passage. Verse 11 says, the heart of her husband trusts in her. So she's trustworthy and trustworthy trustworthy with the person who knows her best in this life. Verse 15, she provides for her maidens. Verse 20, she opens her hands to the needy. So she cares not only about herself and about her family, but she cares about others too. So do you see the picture starting to unfold? Do you see this acrostic starting to take shape? Do Do you see the aspects and the different facets of this woman or this personified woman who fears the Lord? And what's great is, All those facets are reflected here in this room. You see, you are those types of women. You're hardworking and you're diligent and you fear the Lord and you use your gifts and your talents to serve not just yourself, but you serve your families or you serve your roommates or you serve your friends or you serve the poor. You serve your co-workers. There's a disposition then to take the talents that God has given to you and magnify the Lord in the way that you serve and bless others with them. And so when we come to this passage, this should be a great encouragement because every single woman in here who fears the Lord can find herself in this picture and to be encouraged by this and to see God's reflection in your life as you're being molded and shaped more and more into the image of Christ. Verse 25 says, Strength and dignity are her clothing. What a wonderful word. What a wonderful phrase to think about. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. And so friends, when we come to this portrait of Lady Wisdom, I think there's, there's great application here. As I said, this room is filled with godly, wise women and they are to be regularly commended. And guys, I think this is something that we fall short of. I think at times we can take for granted the wonderful godly women that God has placed in our lives. It can begin with our own moms. It can be our sisters. It can ultimately be our friends that we grow up with. It can be the women that we work with or it could be the women that we marry or the daughters that we raise. I think at times we can overlook God's amazing blessing in our lives when we fail to encourage the women that God has placed around us. Look at verse 28. It says, Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. So guys, how are we doing at cultivating in our families the idea of praising and blessing and honoring the moms and the women in our family? And then it's wonderful because it even talks about how God is going to bless you godly women. It says, 
a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This is from God. This is God's perspective on the godly women that he has in our lives. And then even the community, verse 31, it says, give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the city gates. You see, godly, wise women are all around us and God does not want us to overlook them. He wants us to sing their praises. He wants them to be encouraged regularly in who they are in Christ. So friends, let's grow in this. Let's be a community, your community, Redeeming Grace community, the Christian community. We should be the ones that most celebrate the godly women in our lives because scripture is so clear that that's exactly the response that we're supposed to have. So first, we see a portrait of Lady Wisdom. But then it goes on. I want to talk a little bit, just briefly, about these two pathways in life that I mentioned earlier that are in the book of Proverbs because we see the two pathways even here in our text. In verse 31, I mean, in uh, verse 30, it says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Okay, so that's a reference to the pathway of folly, isn't it? But then it goes on. It says, But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And so that's the pathway of wisdom. So even here, at the end of Proverbs, we see the two pathways are coming into view again. And in Hebrew, uh, Hebrew poetry, there's always this parallelism where they compare and contrast different things. So in this case, you have charm and beauty on the one hand, external manifestations being contrasted with an inner beauty, a fear of the Lord. This is exactly what 1 Peter 3 is talking about, about the inner beauty. And so that's what's being contrasted here in our scriptures. And so the pathway of folly, well, that's the pathway for people who don't fear the Lord. These are the pleasure seekers. They're sensual. Uh, in the scriptures in earlier in Proverbs, this is the adulteress. She's alluring. She's enticing. And she thinks sin is fun. And yet we know the outcome is drastic and terrible. It ends in death. And this is what we see on TV and in the movies, in the music we listen to. Our culture celebrates this approach to life, the way of folly. I mean, think about the last two or three television shows you watched. How many of them personified wisdom in a godly way? No, everything that's personified in these things is how to get what you want to make yourself happy. But in the end, friends, we know that if we live for ourselves, the end is destruction. And so this is the pathway of folly. And in the Proverbs, there are sort of three stages to this. You can be uh, level one, level two, and sort of level three. The level one uh, foolish person or the person on the way of folly is called the simple. These are people who are naive and they're inexperienced, gullible, irresponsible, thoughtless towards others. Anyone that's raised a teenager, you're going to say, yeah, I think I live with one of those. Because I was one of those. And that's sort of how we all enter into this world. We're a little bit simple. We're a little bit naive. And we need to be molded and shaped. And we need instruction. But we also need a humble heart that receives instruction. We need to be willing to change and to grow. Uh, but at first, you can, you can even see this in your friendships. You've got some people that are simple and naive. And they just continue on life this way. That's one of the ways that you stay on the pathway of folly. Second is you can be a fool. And actually in the Hebrew, there are three different words used in the Proverbs for the foolish person. But basically they all taken together 
they, they paint a picture, and it's sort of a thick-headed and stubborn person. Somebody who sort of gets some instruction, they sort of give some mental assent of, yeah, that's probably the right way to go, but I'm going to choose to go a different way because I want something else in life, not just God's plan for me. And the interesting thing about the fool is that the fool is not stupid. They actually might be the smartest person academically in the room. But this person has chosen to live life out from under God's authority, and that's what makes them a fool. And the fear of the Lord is a stumbling block for the fool. They don't like it when they have to come up against the authority of God. And so instead, they come out from under it, and they say, I'm going to live life my way. Because at the core, they think that actually they're smarter than God. And so this is the height of deception. When you live this way, and the stumbling block is actually the fear of the Lord instead of the thing that you embrace the most. The fool is unrepentant. They might say that they're sorry for a few things, but when you look at their life, they don't really change, do they? And we all have friends like that. I've been this way. I lived my life for 25 years as the fool. I was first simple and naive, but then I became the fool. People told me the truth over and over. I even saw the fruit of living a godly life, and yet my heart was so hard, I chose to go my own way. I thought I was smarter than God. I thought I was going to game the system, so to speak. I thought I could know enough about God to sort of be safe maybe to get into heaven, but really I could live life my own way, and I didn't have to live life under the authority of God because, quite frankly, I thought that the things that God said in his word were a little restrictive. I thought that it sort of was going to take away from my fun, and I really lived for fun. I lived for self-pleasure. I lived for me, but I was deceived, and I didn't realize how much farther and farther away from the path of wisdom that I was straying because my heart had grown cold because that's the nature of sin, isn't it? If you give yourself to it over and over and over, it pulls you farther and farther and farther away from God. And so that's the fool. And then finally, you have the third person. That's the scoffer. That's somebody whose heart actually really becomes hard towards God. They despise correction. They're arrogantly independent. And they can't move towards godly wisdom because they're insensitive to it. They just think, I'm the smartest one. I'm the best one. And actually, I think God's wrong. I think I know what's best for my life. And so you've got the simple, the fool, and the scoffer. And these are the people that you find on the pathway of folly, isn't it? And you look around at family members and friends, and you go, you know, yeah, they're all one of those things. That sort of describes where they are. And that is such a dangerous place because the wages of sin is death. It's not going to end well. And yet, we're shown in Scripture that there's a pathway of wisdom. And what a glorious pathway that is. This is a pathway that's filled with people who have humility in their hearts. They're honest, filled with integrity. They have discretion. They respect others. They're selfless instead of selfish. And friends, this is the pathway that leads to life. This is the pathway that God wants us to pursue. This is the pathway that God wants us to embrace as we live in the fear of him. Because friends, the pathway of wisdom is the way of the Lord. And that's what this passage teaches us, that we are to fear the Lord and that's going to be the blessed life. But the key is only people who fear the Lord are going to be on this path. And I'll share that in just a moment as my last point. 
But those who are on this pathway of wisdom, they seek to live God's ways by growing and maturing. You see, when you're on this path, you're one of those people who actually listens to advice and even seeks it out and more amazingly, actually acts on it when you get good advice. It's great. And, and you've been around people who are wise, right? Everybody knows a few wise people in your lives. You look at how they live their married life or you look how they work in the office and you see this godly, wise person in your life and you realize, wow, I want to be like that. They have something that I want because it's so desirable. They're on a pathway that leads to blessing. These are people who are disciplined, self-controlled, They receive correction. These are people who are discerning. You know, they can smell trouble or a bad idea the minute it gets mentioned when you're around your friends. They have understanding of God's ways. They see God's big picture. And they're prudent. They consider a lot of different factors before they make a decision. They're patient. They wait upon the Lord. And they have knowledge. It's just a a godly kind of knowledge. And it just comes out of them. These are the type of, that, type of people that we all want to be around, don't we? We want to be around these people. They're infectious. I have had the privilege of working with young people for a long time in our church. And I'm very often involved in their relationships, one with another. And so I just have a brief, uh, just aside on this whole section, on this pathway of life, uh, one that is a pathway of wisdom, when it comes to relationships between men and women, especially when they're unmarried, when they're pursuing a relationship, I want to encourage you. If you're in that season of life, desiring to be married or in a relationship with somebody or praying about that, I want to encourage you to read and study and know what God's Word says. Because in these Proverbs, we see for the woman what you are to be like all these different kinds of attributes that you can look to incorporate into your own life. But also for the men, it's what to look for. And I tell the women the same thing. I say, just go to 1 Timothy 3 and look at the qualifications for a deacon if you want to just flip the roles around. Because I say, you want your, you want your spouse to be able to serve in the church, right? And they go, yeah. Well, I said, well, then look at the qualifications there for somebody who can serve in the church. And why do I do this? Because so often... When we come to relationships, people are first driven by the external and they don't give enough importance to the internal. And that was certainly the foolish way that I lived my life. I lived my life in a very immoral way before I became a Christian. And everything about my life was who's the pretty girl and who's the next pretty girl? Who can make me laugh? Who's a lot of fun? It was all the externals. But when I came to faith in Christ and I came across this passage of Scripture... God in his kindness said, I'm going to change the way you think about this. I'm going to change the way that your orientation is about how you think about somebody who's to be praised. And instead of majoring and focusing on what's external, I'm going to help you see that the most important thing you can find in somebody else is that they fear the Lord. And so when I came to Proverbs 31, and it talks about charm, and it talks about beauty, and that they're deceitful, and that's not the right way, but that a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised, I felt like God gave me a gift. And so I want to give you that gift as well. If you're in that season of life where you're pursuing relationships, I want to encourage you to think carefully about what are your expectations? Are you thinking about the person who can just make you happy right now? 
Or you're thinking about somebody who's actually submitted to God and you want to do life together with as you both serve the Lord and as you both serve Him and care for the people that He's placed in front of you and live those selfless lives instead of selfish lives. Sadly, I saw this happen uh, in the wrong way, in a negative way, uh, with a friend of mine. He uh, was not a Christian, and he was going out with this girl, and she was attractive, and she was very funny, and they got along really well externally, um, and they got married. But shortly after they got married, he found out that he had MS. And she came to him one day, and she said, hey, I just want to let you know I'm going to be divorcing you. And he said, what? He goes, I didn't really sign up for that. And when he told us that, and I wasn't even a Christian at the time, I mean, I was just heartbroken. Even a non-saved person, I understood that's wrong. Like there's a wrong way of thinking there. And yet, that's the negative. But for me, I've experienced the positive. I've been married almost 28 years, and God in his kindness provided somebody for me who fears the Lord. And she has modeled and demonstrated for me so many of these qualities that we see in the scriptures. And friends, if I can tell you anything, you want a wife who fears the Lord because you know what? She's faithful to me. She encourages me. She corrects me when I need it. And sometimes I need it. And so we need to be careful what we're looking for. Proverbs 31 and verses 11 and 12 say this. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. And friends, it works the other way too. For the women here, I want you to look for those men who love God more than anything else. When I answer people who ask, well, how have you and Bonnie stayed so happily married all these years? I say, first of all, it's the grace of God because we get what we don't deserve. But in a human way, the thing that helps us the most is that every morning, Bonnie goes down into her part of the house and she reads her Bible and spends time with the Lord. And I go to my part of the house and I read my Bible and spend time with the Lord. And you know what? That's the secret to a really good marriage. It's actually having the fear of the Lord at the heart of it. So I just share that with you just from an old guy to to younger people. I really want to encourage you, think carefully about what you're looking for and think carefully about the type of person that you are and that you would be entering into a relationship as. So how do you get to the path of wisdom and stay there? And that's my final point, and I'll close with this. It's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord determines which path you're on. There's no other litmus test. You either are following God or you're not. There are no real in-between ways. We think we are in-between, but when you're in-between, you're really on the path of folly. There's a wholehearted devotion that God calls for his people. Verse 30 says, Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And she's praised not for what she does for God. She's praised for what she believes about God. She believes in Him. She trusts in Him. And she submitted her life to Him. The fear of the Lord is the source of her wise living. And as I said, it starts with what she believes first. And yet, isn't it that that our greatest temptation that we, we start to think about what I can do for God instead of just resting in what God has done for us. And so the fear of the Lord, well, we can see it in a picture. If you're familiar with Isaiah 6, the prophet comes in to a vision of the Lord and he sees God in the throne room of the temple. And the the Lord is sitting upon a throne. 
and he's high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple, and the foundation shook at his voice. You see, friends, there's a picture here of what it looks like to fear the Lord, because that's the question, isn't it? What does it look like to fear the Lord? Well, in the Old Testament, we see this beautiful picture of this prophet coming into the temple, and he sees God, and there's a reaction that he has. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. Why? Because when he was confronted with the holiness and greatness and awesomeness of God, he was undone. He says, my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And it captivated him. And it showed him also that there was a big gap between God and him. And that he was never going to be able to be in God's presence as one who was unclean. He knew that from the scriptures. And so this fear of the Lord brings a reverence for God. The holiness of God. God is so other than us. And yet, when we use words like awesome nowadays, we've just watered it all down. Everything's awesome. Everybody's pictures are awesome. Everybody's vacations are awesome. My job is awesome. My friends are awesome. This beer is awesome. Everything that we do is awesome, right? And if everything is awesome then, what does that do to our perception of God? I think it diminishes it. And I think we need to reclaim a right vision of what awesome really is. What is awe-inspiring is a transcendent God who has revealed himself to us. What is awesome is a God who sees people who are lost in their sin, people like us who have unclean lips, people who are never going to be reconciled to him with no ability in and of ourselves to earn it or work our way back to him. There's an awesome God who says, no, I will make a way for you to be back to me through the giving of my son. See, friends, that's awesome. And when we think about what is truly awesome, let's cast our gaze upwards, not outwards. Let's cast our gaze on the one who truly does inspire awe. I'm not big for vacations where you go to like natural um, things like the Grand Canyon or mountains. I mean, they're nice, but I'm the kind of guy that like drives along the highway and I look look up and I say, well, that's pretty cool. And then I keep driving because I really want to just go to the beach. But I'm learning, and my wife is helping me with this, to slow down a little bit and appreciate what is truly awesome. You see, to take time and to linger is actually when you can cultivate a true sense of what's awesome. See, when I drive by something quick and just make a a passing glance, it's nice, but it's not awesome. But when you stop for a moment and you gaze at something that's truly magnificent, and you linger there for a little while, and you think about it, and maybe you write something down or you draw a picture of it, something happens. Something happens on the inside. There's a welling up of true beauty as you see it and as you experience it. And that's how God wants us to relate to Him. He doesn't want us to have a drive-by. He wants us to cultivate a sense of awe and reverence of Him. So what does it look like to live in the fear of the Lord? Well, it's to admit that the Lord alone is in total control of the universe that he made and that we live in. That's a big pill for us to swallow, isn't it? In our very self-centered, 
me-focused age that we live in, we like to think that we're in control. And not only that, but we like to think that we're in a world that we created, or at least that the world was created for us and for our happiness. But the fear of the Lord teaches us something very different. It says we need to have a very different mindset, and it's a mindset that says, no, the world that I live in is first and foremost about God and His glory, and that I live under His authority. Second, to have the fear of the Lord and to live it out in our lives, we need to acknowledge our dependence upon Him for all of life and for all of godliness. You see, friends, no matter how hard we try to be good people, we're never going to achieve that if we don't have the help that God wants to provide. We'll always run out of gas. We're always tempted to believe the lies of the enemy. We're always tempted to get distracted or more often than not, we just have amnesia. We forget what good really is. And so we need God to help us by living in dependence upon him. And we're to put away arrogant defiance of God. It means we actually say no to sin. And again, it's a hard thing. In our culture, in our world, things that used to be considered bad are now considered good. And it happens even within the Christian community. Just the standards you can just see over the years just keep dropping in terms of language, alcohol consumption, what people look at, what television shows they watch. Friends, I'm just as guilty as you. But I think we have to be wise and discerning to realize this is the age that we actually live in. And I think God wants us to do something about it. I think he wants us to fear him instead of fearing man. I think he wants us to fear him in his awesomeness and in his reverence than giving ourselves to lesser pleasures. Giving ourselves over to the fear of man that says, well, I'm going to go ahead and participate with all these other people that are drinking too much or telling bad stories or using bad language or living ways that are immoral or even slightly immoral because I so desperately want them to like me. No, God would say that his love for you and his affection for you and his drawing near to you is greater than any of those other things. Give yourself to that and not to the things of this world. And friends, I tell you, this is the path of life. This is the fear of the Lord. And when we get the fear of the Lord, we will live in such a way that we will not only be blessed, but we will live showing the incredible radiance of God and His grace in the way that we engage the world that God has called us to live in. And so it's choosing to put away our arrogant defiance of God. It's not taking shortcuts. It's it's actually saying no to things that we know in our hearts we should say no to. And we need God's help for that. We need His grace to be at work in our hearts. It's choosing to renounce autonomy and to place our trust in the Lord because the fear of the Lord affects all of our lives. And the first step is to surrender that authority that we think we have actually to Him. And friends, we see this in Jesus, don't we? Jesus came down. He had the authority, but he submitted himself to his Father and to the plans that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit created together to bring about redemption. But, but Jesus was the one that was going to have to take the steps of obedience, wasn't he? You see, friends, we were all on the path of folly. But because of what Jesus did, he enabled us to live on the path of wisdom. Our sin, our independence, our rejection of God offered up nothing but God's wrath and judgment and separation from him for all eternity. In the Old Testament, we see that the fear of the Lord was required of the people, and when they didn't, and they projected that over and over, eventually they were expelled from the land. 
awaiting a Messiah, awaiting a Savior because they couldn't do it on their own. But God, in His kindness, has given us an ability to fear Him if we will turn to His Son, Jesus Christ. The fear of the Lord is what we Christians now call submission to Christ. It's repenting of our sins and putting our faith in Him, not only as our Savior, because that's sort of the get-out-of-hell-free card, right? He's our Savior. But friends, He's also our Lord. We live under His authority, the authority that we have in His revealed Word to us. If you're ever not sure whether something you're doing is right or wrong, refer to this. This will show you what God says is right and wrong because this book gives us the pathway of wisdom, the pathway of righteousness. And Jesus came as our Lord, not just our Savior. And so when we surrender our lives to Him and His Spirit begins to transform us from the inside out, well, we begin to experience life as He intends it for us. And we're on the pathway of wisdom And the great thing is, once you've committed your ways to the Lord, it's a pathway you'll stay on the rest of your life and for all eternity. The Proverbs serve as a mirror to reflect back to us, not only how we're doing well, but also in areas where we might be falling short. And I want to encourage you, if in the course of this message there are areas of your life where you feel like God is speaking to you, I want to encourage you, obey the Holy Spirit's prompting. Listen to those things. That's God's kindness to you. God disciplines those he loves, not those he hates. And so for the Christians here, those who fear the Lord, our failings are opportunities to humble ourselves. Empowered by God's spirit, we submit to him, we turn from our sins, and we experience God's gracious forgiveness. And if you're here this morning and you're still on the journey of trying to figure out, do I even want to be on this pathway of wisdom? Do I want to be a Christian? Do I want to fear the Lord Well, I want to encourage you. First of all, thanks for being here today. Thanks for being in a church that actually preaches God's word because it's God's word that can answer those questions that you have about which pathway you want to be on. But I want to encourage you. God's offer of salvation is for anyone who will humble themselves with an awe and a reverence for God and submit their ways to him. It's not that complicated. It's repentance and faith. But it's heartfelt. But it's got to have content. Our faith has to have an object. And the way that God has revealed himself to us in the face of Jesus Christ is that we actually become Christians when we turn and submit to Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you, make him your Lord. The pathway that he has for you is far greater than any other pathway you will devise for yourself. So charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Friends, we have great hope and encouragement in the scriptures that if we will take the pathway that God has for us, we will live the life that God intends for us. We will live a life that is filled with the praise of his glory. And we will live knowing that we will be in union with God through Christ forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together. And we thank you that your word teaches us that the wise person fears the Lord and lives God's way. Father, we know that we can't do this on our own and that there is an order of operations here that fearing you must come first. And I pray that your spirit would be active in our hearts and minds even this day. First, reminding us of all the good that you have done in us and through us and for us through your son, Jesus Christ, but also 
that you would be revealing those areas in our lives where maybe we're reflecting back not the things that you want us to reflect back. And I pray that you would bring a godly conviction that doesn't bring a condemnation, but that gives us a desire, actually, in our hearts to have a godly sorrow that leads us to repentance so that we can live our lives for the praise of your glory and we can truly live in the wisdom in your world that you want us to live with. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace. Thank you.